This is a podcast where we pull the curtain back on all things intuitive business and talk about the concepts, ideas, and little funky things that don't often get mentioned. That's the 12th house in astrology. It's the unseen. So we're just taking our little flashlights, shining a light. Pull it back. Put a little spin on it. Yeah. Remix it. Flip it and reverse it, maybe. And if you're old here, hi, welcome back. Linnea, we have never met face-to-face or voice-to-voice. Well, you have <laughs> No. I feel like I know parts of you, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's really nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. And Michelle, you and Linnea have known each other for a while now. Yeah. You know, Linnea, I actually was going through my email looking for something and Conscious City, an email between us from Conscious City Guide when you worked there popped up and I was like, yeah. Whoa, I forgot that you worked there and you worked there for a long yeah. time. I did. Yeah, that was a whole era. It was a yeah. whole thing. Yeah. yeah I, think that that was- I, I think I did work there when we met. Yeah. Yeah, it was so a long was, time ago. That was like 2017, 2018. Yeah. 2019. So I think we met like 2017. Yeah. And I have yeah. your dresser. <laughs> oh <my laughs> you guys <Yeah>. know. <laughs> I remember that. That's so funny. <laughs> Hope she's serving you well. <laughs> really cute mid-century dresser. It's great. But so much has shifted and changed in your life since mm-hmm. we first met in, in everyone's lives, obviously. But you are like, you've always been a creative wunderkind, like a just mm-hmm. fountain of creativity. I remember when you had Gooey Girl and mm-hmm. it was all about using creativity to like Im- become the, the version of yourself, a version of yourself. And you, you've kept that sort of like through line in such a beautiful way as your work has shifted so much. Thank you. Yeah. That's, it's so funny you say that because I've been reflecting a lot lately just about how, you know, I really do identify more and more as I age with just being an artist generally. I think because of exactly what you just named, like I'm always focusing on a core set of ideas or concepts through all of my work. It just all gets manifested in different ways. And yeah, Gooey Girl was like the first big manifestation or Wallace to fill you in. I had a blog called Gooey Girl. Um, I love the name so much. Tell me more. I need to know. It was like my post-college, like I'm lost in the world. What am I doing with my life kind of blog? But through it, I really started to identify exactly what Michelle named that like tapping into creative energy was kind of this wellspring for me of self acceptance and self-understanding and also self-development and yeah those themes continue through like all of the work that I've done from that point forward and was interplay before outer work yes yeah first yeah and when did you start interplay what was the metamorphosis of that yeah well I had been doing gooey girl for a while and in a lot of ways interplay at first was just an extension of gooey girl it was just kind of like a new name and a new vibe like a rebrand <laughs> and then and then it kind of became this other thing it became a community in 2020 when the pandemic started because i was like oh this has been fun to like do these i had done like a couple of little workshops online and had like you and know like person. a really small type group yeah and in person oh my gosh wow that was the one event michelle i ever did because then the <laughs> pandemic started <laughs> yeah it was a 
collage event and it was really fun. <laughs> it was really fun. We did collage mm-hmm. and Ethan came and did, what was that called? I forget now. Did we do what an outer net? Yes. Outer net. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And it was so much fun. Yeah. So it became this community where it started as like a membership online during the pandemic. And then we started hosting all of these free events, like at one point we were doing like four events a week online of just different like creative workshops and things. And it was so much fun. And we just built like this really rad community through that. And yeah, so yeah, Interplay was a was a membership community. It still exists technically, but it's <laughs> it's on its last legs, which we can get into at some point. Wait, yeah, really? What tell me more like. about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I've been doing a lot of reflection. It's kind of interesting because this is the first interview of any kind I've done recently. And I feel like a lot has changed in the last few months. So it's the first time I get to kind of put words to it, which is exciting for me too. But yeah, I've been in this period of deep reflection and introspection, like basically the whole summer, just thinking about what I really want to be doing next, you know, that like refinement period. And I've just made the choice to close down both interplay and outer work, um, which is like emotional, obviously, and bittersweet in a lot of ways, but it's definitely the right choice for me right now. And really what it's about is just, again, it's time for like a new evolution of these ideas. It's time to like bring them to the world in a different way. And I realized just the the maintenance of an online community is so much. Michelle, I'm sure you understand. <laughs> yeah. It's so much. And to have two of them going at once has been so amazing, but it's just also such a enormous use of energy. Yeah. So yeah. And, and you're in grad school now, right? Yeah, yeah, that part. Oh, oh, just a little. <laughs> like, I mean, okay, <laughs> yeah. Like, I have two businesses, and I'm in grad school. Like, no big deal. <laughs> totally. No, that was like I was so naive. I was like, it's fine. Everything will continue just as the same. I'll just take like one week off a month and do grad school. <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> so ridiculous. That's what they no famously say about grad school. It really only takes twelve weeks a year. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, she's an optimist what can I say (laughs) I I think that that is first off how very gooey girl because I remember you telling me about the name gooey girl and what always struck out to me was you know with the caterpillar when the the caterpillar Mm -hmm. turns into the butterfly it's gooey on the inside it goes it reverts to the goo um my favorite in fact yeah to like (laughs) change shape and form yeah and that reminds me I mean, I think that's your, like, that is your superpower is the gooey. Like, you know that, like, something has to return to the gooey state in order to make something new. And it's, like, all fertile ground, right? Like, closing down this chapter, shutting down this chapter, ending this chapter, right, with inner work and outer work, interplay and outer work, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it's not like you're going to just trash those ideas and what you've learned there forever far from it. It's it's going into the gooey state to, like, metamorphosize into something new. Totally. That's yeah. Thank you for reminding me of that because that so is exactly what's happening and that so is my process. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but it's you're reminding me that this is what I've been doing forever. And it's like, it's exactly that. It's allowing something to completely dissolve and to generate new life. And it's a very powerful, very, very powerful practice. So yeah. Yeah. 
I really identify with the gooey state. I'm very much in one right now (laughs) in many ways. Yeah. And Mm. I was just thinking of the embodied feeling of you're trying to keep things in some kind of container, but inevitably you're goo. So you are flowing (laughs) and you can't be contained. (laughs) You're the As much as you try. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. Um, That's always a big lesson with this stage is like total surrender. (laughs) So while you were kind of coming to this decision, was there a process that you were using to kind of make sure, am I on the right track? Am I making this decision out of fear? Or how did you navigate? Or one of the things we talk about a lot is what meaning making system or framework we're using to help us make decisions or make sense of a really hard time. Just kind of curious if you had something that you anchored yourself with during that decision process? Yeah. Yeah. Really for me, it's about spiritual connection. That's the first thing that came to mind. And so just having a really strong spiritual practice has been so helpful because I really do believe that like any idea or insight I ever have comes through me and not from me. So Mm -hmm. it's all about for me keeping that channel super open. And so I've just been doing a lot of self-nourishing. It's been incredibly indulgent. I'm incredibly nice, but I've been like spending a lot of time with friends and family and Mm. practicing yoga a lot more. Mm. And I pray every morning and every evening. I do tarot nearly every day. Like I just try to do a lot of things that keep me connected to myself and to the universe and to spirit. That helps me a lot. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel sometimes when I surrender and I'm sinking into those practices, I'm so porous and open that things at some point can start to come in very quickly and in a way that feels almost overwhelming. And I sometimes feel, oh, do I need to act on that? And it's almost a practice then of also being like, no, I don't Mm -hmm. need to do anything right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I've been sitting with that a lot too. Like I think about emergent strategy a lot and Adrian Marie Brown's book. Mm, yeah, um, that's a great yeah. And, yeah. And there's so much in that about like moving slowly and taking your time mm. and allowing things to kind of meld together and like mesh together. So I'm the same way. Like I'm constantly inspired and overwhelmed with ideas and it's a real practice for me too, to have to just take time to say like, no, okay. I'm just going to like, let this stay in my brain and it will emerge when it's ready but I don't need to like fixate on it to make sure it's like it happens, you know, like it will, it will germinate and it will happen when it's supposed to. And I try to just stay with that. Yeah. Hmm. For when it does, when it does kind of sort of come to the surface, what's your Mm -hmm. sort of like organizational personality type? Like kind of what's what, how would you describe yourself of like how you take action? Yeah, that's so funny because I was thinking like the other big part of my spiritual connection is taking a lot of notes. So I'm a huge, I'm a huge note taker. With your note taking tool of choice, are you like pen and paper? Obviously, come on. What? what, what? (laughs) Come on. Yeah, I love Notion. I actually like I do this thing where I like make a whole Notion and it's like. Like I just had my whole old notion that had all the interplay and outer work stuff on it. And it like was so overwhelming. I was like, oh my God, I don't need any of this anymore. And like, what do I do with it? So I just literally archived the entire thing and started from scratch, which was like, that feels so good. 
That is the I best. love oh, archiving yeah. pages. Yes. <laughs> it was so good. So yeah, so I started a new notion this summer nice. and it's all notes. It's like I have it separated out by like project type and like whether it's like a personal project or like a creative project or a school thing. And then I have pages within that, those sections for each individual idea. And so whenever I get ideas about the idea, I just put them all into my notion. And then the way that I, you said like, how do I take action? And so what I try to do, what I've been trying to create a practice of is like, okay, this idea seems to be like really rolling right now. Like I have all these thoughts around this one thing. So like, what's the next step I can take? Who's like a person I can connect to, to like make it real? Mm -hmm. Because if I have like a meeting on the books with someone, then I'll like get it organized and really get clear on it. And that helps me to like make sure that I'm externalizing and I'm not only just like sitting and spinning around with ideas all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like a built-in accountability. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, would you say that you identify as a squiggly brained person? Oh, 1000%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Have you always been kind of identified that way? Or is this like new knowledge to you? Or do you like maybe have, do you have an ADHD diagnosis? No, I don't have a diagnosis officially, but I am pretty sure I have ADHD. But I feel it in my bones. Yeah, (laughs) I do. I feel it in my bones. I had this revelation. My partner has ADHD and has been diagnosed since he was a child. And so... I kind of started getting into like research around it as a way to support him. And then I was like, wait a second, this is too real. That's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. I thought that Ethan had ADHD because I was like, you're crazy that you can just jump from (laughs) thing to thing to thing. And like, what? There must be something wrong with you. And I was like, wait, nothing wrong with either of us, but it is me that has this thing. (laughs) Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I know. It's wild. Have you read any of Gabor Mate's thoughts on ADHD? I haven't. Tell me more. There, so I will I will admit I haven't read the book, but he has one book that I think maybe Michelle you've started. Yeah, I read it. It's called Scattered. Oh, Scattered, yes. My yeah. so my mom has ADHD and so does my brother. And my brother did a whole deep dive on learning as much as he could about it. Probably in the past five years because he was diagnosed from a very young age and he always kind of said to me like you definitely have ADHD but I was just like whatever I'll nah and (laughs) I think similar to both of you guys seeing other people work through it and either get help or just be more open about talking about it I've come to also be open about talking about it and one of the things that I think is so interesting from Gabor Mate's perspective is that really a lot of what he thinks ADHD comes from is it's a coping mechanism Mm. for having a parent who is maybe not present emotionally or physically. Mm. And so at a very young age, you're looking for ways to almost receive dopamine from other places and also get stimulation and attention or occupy yourself in other ways because of that missing of very embodied attention from a parent. Wow. Did I get it right, Michelle? Yeah. <laughs> and and that, what's interesting, I was so skeptical of this book because I was like, I don't know, I'm, I have epilepsy and, you know, Ethan's got brain cancer and I'm always a little like sus of people who are like, well, it's actually your mindset that made you, <laughs> that made you, that gave you this diagnosis. I'm like, well, I think there's some chemistry involved as well. But Gabor Mate also has ADHD. 
and mm. so do so do his kids. And he talks in the book about like I wasn't present. Like I wasn't I'm not a present father. I was around mm. a lot. My wife was around a lot, but we were not emotionally available for our children. And and that yielded like, you know, this he thinks it yielded this diagnosis and also like combined with sort of how your brain chemistry might naturally go, the path your brain chemistry might naturally go down. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting. I mean, the idea, just kind of knowing that and where that comes from, I didn't find it to be like, here's how you can heal it necessarily. Right. Like it's not, yeah. I don't know if it's something that you even, I mean, I, I, I just struggle with this idea myself of like mental, what we call illness. Like, is it something always to be healed or is it just a different way of being, you know, like, is it something that we want to try and fix? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, how I feel about it, but yeah, that was kind of how I left the book of like, okay, interesting. I mean, it's a, it's a, a really interesting perspective, I think. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so up my alley. Totally. I like my jaw was dropped the whole time you were sharing that because it, it aligns a lot to like my experience, but also like nearly everyone I know who has ADHD's experience. So I wouldn't be surprised. And I think like to your point, Michelle, about, you know, is it really mental illness or is it just a different way of being? That's like what I study in school. So I'm really? like, what are you stu- what, and how did okay. you get into that? And like, you want to dedicate your life to that for the next couple of years? Yeah. Okay. So my program is called Community Liberation Indigenous and Eco Psychologies, which is the world's longest title. Um, It's essentially a decolonial perspective on depth psychology. So depth psychology being like Freudian, Jungian, subconscious stuff. Is this at Pacifica? Um, Yeah, it's at Pacifica in Santa Barbara. So So it's really fascinating. But, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot and study a lot is, is this idea that, you know, essentially the way that we in the Western world and increasingly across the globe because of colonialism view mental health and mental illness is in a way that pathologizes or says like, this is wrong, this is bad, this needs to be fixed. But how you know, indigenous cultures across the world don't view mental illness that way. And so there's this whole other way of understanding what happens in people's brains that is way less critical of the person and more so like understanding of the society that they come from or of the background that they have. Mm -hmm. And so I find it so fascinating because it's really just about like how our social environments shape us more than like we have a problem and we need to fix it as individuals. Yeah. It makes me think of even the idea of neurodivergency. It's Mm -hmm. you're divergent from the norm. So it's othering Mm -hmm. in some sense. It's part of that colonial othering perspective. Right. Divergent from what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The center is not the white Western man. Exactly. Right. What is that, that turn of phrase to be well in a world that's sick is not, it, it's not yeah. true wellness. Yeah, it makes sense that we're depressed. Yeah, <laughs> you're pretty fucked up right now. That yeah. is a that's a normal response, you know. Yeah, exactly, and that's the case across the board. Really, people are just having responses. They're not good or bad. Mm-hmm. They're just the responses okay. that they're having to situations that are out of their control, and that's the truth across time. You know. Yeah, mm. it really, I think when you start to sort of pull at that string or that like sort of walk down that line of questioning, it really makes a lot of the wellness world, which, you know, we've 
we've been, we've all dipped our toes in and out of or identified with sometimes more often or less often. I think it makes a lot of what is shared or talked about or sold in wellness, it makes it very suspicious. Like it really puts it on shaky ground. Oh yeah. I can't buy it (laughs) at all anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, I just have like an eye roll at almost everything now, which I don't mean to be negative, but it's so much simpler than people allow it to be in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I think that's my issue is like, why are we like bending over backwards trying to, to do all of these cleanses and products and I don't know sometimes I think it really is just about like going within for a while and being okay with yourself and also trying to be in community and care for other people and I don't know that's when I feel the best and of course I'm just one person no it's capitalism wants it to be this very complicated ladder of products and services at the end of the day I think we're all just animals (laughs) like if we all just (laughs) That would be chill. <laughs> We're at, and not separate then, because so much mm-hmm. of our issues globally and environmentally, especially right now, is this idea that we're not animals, that we're mm-hmm. so separate. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, the climate disaster, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. A whole other podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't even have enough. We barely have, can scratch the surface of that on this podcast. <laughs> Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Janelle, the community manager here at Holisticism, and I just wanted to pop in and tell you that we are opening the doors to the North Node. For those who don't know, the North Node is our online intuitive business school. It houses a curriculum designed to help entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and creatives at every stage of building their online-based business. From those who still maybe aren't quite sure what they want their business to be, to those who run whole teams and make income from their business, but maybe want to scale or incorporate more intuitive practices in their company, to creatives wanting to build out their own business and brand, and want to be more witchy about how they create and build systems around their content creations. If any of these people or in between sound like you, you definitely want to check out the North Node. We base our curriculum off of archetypes, so when you join, you will be placed into the most appropriate archetype in our archetype success path, where you'll be guided through the stages of assessing, learning, initiating, and implementing. We also teach and host monthly workshops and events. As a North Node member, you also get discounts to all other Holisticism products. You get one-on-one access to Holisticism team members, specifically me, the community manager, plus access to an incredible um, community of like-minded individuals, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, creatives, witchy, intuitive human beings, very well-resourced and um, true empaths and really supportive. There are honestly so many perks to joining the North Node, far too many to go over in this podcast. But if you want to learn more, please feel free to DM me on Holisticism Hub on Mighty Networks or email me at Janelle at oholisticism.com. It'll be in the show notes. And as a reminder, doors that close on October 2nd, you can check out the show notes for the link to the North Node waitlist and for how to get in contact with me. I hope you're enjoying this podcast and I hope to see you in the community. I have so many questions about your studies, but I'm kind of curious if there's been meaning making systems that you've taken on from your studies or learning from indigenous cultures where you're like, wow, this 
this is something I'd really like to integrate into Mm -hmm. my community work or my family. Oh my God, so much. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I love frameworks. So I mean, a little tangent, but it's like so much of what I learn in school is like so fascinating, so cool, whatever. But I'm also like, okay, but what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. You know, like this is great info, but I'm in like the point. 0.001% of people who's ever going to learn it in this setting. So like, how do we bring it to other people? So I love a framework because that's how I'm always thinking is like, how do I take what I am learning and turn it into something that's actionable for the everyday person who's not in a PhD program, right? But yeah, I mean, there's just so much. I don't even know where to start. I think like from the community psychology perspective, which is really my area of focus, what I really think about a lot is like what a decolonial community looks like. And like, there's basically these elements and principles of decoloniality, right? Like things are non-hierarchical, for example, they center well-being for individuals, communities, and the planet. So I think about those as like, these elements and principles of decoloniality that then I would love to apply to everything, like from my relationships with my family to the way I speak to my partner to the way I like hang out with my nieces and nephews. Like everything changes when you start thinking in this different frame of mind that is really about centering human relationships and centering our relationships to nature. I just think everything about your life changes when you get into that, into that mindset. So it's really hard to narrow down, but, but yeah. I think that's also like really scary to people to not have a hierarchy, (laughs) to not know, because it means that instead of looking outside of ourselves to figure out where we fit in and like to sort of echolocate ourselves against other things around us, we have to know ourselves, (laughs) just like know ourselves floating in space. And that's really fucking freaky. Like, you know, that's against everything that we're taught from a little, from like our youngest age, you know, like lining up in behind the line leader, according to, I don't know, height order or the alphabet, you know, like we're always looking for a hierarchy and organization. Oh yeah, totally. You just made a very interesting point, right? Like there's a difference between hierarchy and organization is the thing. And mm-hmm. the, I think like oftentimes when we talk about non-hierarchical, non-hierarchical like that it feels like it's mayhem and there's no organization and there's no system and there's no leader Mm -hmm. and I think of it more as like there's always a leader there's always a natural leader in any group of people and there's always people who then are supporting maybe the vision of that leader I think that applying this like decolonial perspective in the capitalist colonial world that we live in means recognizing that that's fact but also it means like saying, well, the leader, it doesn't, just because the leader's the leader doesn't make them the most imp- important person here. There's also like people who are doing on the ground work and they're equally as important as that leader who has the vision. So it's about like naming what your role is and exactly what you're saying, Michelle, like understanding who you are based on who everybody else is around you, but not adding the element of judgment of this makes me better or worse or, you know, good or bad or more or less than this other person. Removing that layer and just focusing on the fact that everyone has a role. And if we all like really enacted our roles in our own personal power, I think we'd be a lot further. (laughs) Yeah. And that what what you just said about judgment and value, I think that can be so confusing to creatives to bring it back to Mm -hmm. like what 
who you are and what you do, like what is at your core essence from, from where I sit. So many of us who are creatives and who know that what we do is invaluable to the world, right? Like Mm -hmm. to culture, to the human experience. And then we also have to put a value on it because like we need to make money to pay rent and to buy food. And we're often just ascribing an arbitrary value to what we offer based on what other people value themselves at. (laughs) Totally. I was thinking while you were saying that because you've been part of running so many different communities, do you feel that we need to relearn how to be in community and organize differently and uh, understand these roles differently? Yes, 100%. I think everyone needs to learn how to be in community differently. And that is really where I feel called to focus right now is giving people those tools and again, sharing the things that I'm learning that I think are so helpful and trying to translate them to people who are wanting to increase the feeling of community at their workplace or within their family and making all of that more accessible. But yeah, I think having that feeling of like, I matter, I belong in this place and like what I do here matters, I think is a really great starting point for people who are building community or wanting to build community is making sure that everyone feels that way. That's how we like create feelings of belonging. Shit, man. Easier said than done though. Like (laughs) it's, I was just thinking about the things that make me afraid to be in community. Cause like, obviously we run a community and we're community friendly people, but there are still things that give me pause or that like, you know, sort of flare up my anxious avoidant attachment. A lot of it comes back to like codependency and, feeling like I have to take care of other people or I'm 100% responsible. And I also can't control or often see other people's trauma or what's come up for them when they've been like cared for or in community with others. Mm -hmm. And we like to like throw all of our problems, like blame them on capitalism, but really like Capitalism is so, (laughs) right, exactly. (laughs) I mean, it is the root, but it's so individualistic and Something that we've noticed when we moved to sliding scale payment system for a lot of our offerings was people would default to what's the cheapest I can get away with paying as opposed to thinking Mm -hmm. about, well, okay, I know that I'm paying into this community and like if I can afford a little bit more, I'm supporting other people and I'm making sure that the team that makes this is supported and doesn't burn out. And Mm -hmm. like that is so contradictory to everything that we're told pretty much every other moment in our lives because of capitalism. It's, it's yeah. like you have to re- you totally reprogram the way you think. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think it's like, oh, see, it's funny because like things like sliding scale are, are a great example of like the the kind of things that like the ideas that have filtered down, right? Where it's like, this is a way to make this like accessible for all people. And that is true not all people, but for like a larger portion of people. But then exactly what you're saying happens. Like Mm -hmm. people aren't actually like taking actual responsibility for the community. They're just like thinking of themselves. Right. And so it's interesting because it's like, I think about things like that, like sliding scale, which I have too for my communities. And I'm always like, is this actually better? (laughs) Or would it be better to like charge a price and accept the fact that like this is already only meant for a certain audience anyway mm-hmm. right like that's just the, that's just the, the facts in the case but then find a way to you know accommodate for the cost so like you're saying so that the team doesn't burn out so that your needs are covered and make sure that like you're well resourced so that you can then 
turn around and give back to your community in a in a different way. Right. And that's kind of where we've landed at this point. We have yeah. like sliding scale sort of within our community. So once people are in if they go through moments of financial difficulty or emotional difficulty, mm-hmm. we can in community support them, right? Because they've been yeah. part of it, you know, it's all like we're all bought yeah. in in a way because the other way was so, it was so hard. Like, and, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean things aren't worth it. It just was, it almost felt re-traumatizing to some people too, yeah. to ask them to like sort of identify, even when we tried to make it so clear and really tried to educate mm-hmm. on it, it can be really intimidating. So it's hard. It is. It is. One of the things that I seems also tricky about sliding scale and giving people those options is the, the human psychology of people mean well, but they might not always make the best decision for the community. So that doesn't make them bad. It makes them human. Mm-hmm. So how do we set people up to be incentivized to be the best version of themselves in whatever given community organization? Mm-hmm. And in your own life, this is something we like to ask people. When did you think you were in a place where you're like, I'm so healthy, I'm the best, healthiest version of me, and you look back and you're like, ooh, kind of toxica. That's not <laughs> cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what a fun question. Let's see. I mean, I feel that way about all of my past selves to a degree. <laughs> Oh, I mean, entire yeah. yeah, not in a critical way, I guess. Like, yeah. I always have a lot of compassion for myself. I think that's another superpower of mine that I don't know where it came from, but thank God. I do feel I'm just a little like baby chicken trying to do the thing. I don't know. It's fine. I'm okay. But what comes to my mind first is like early on in my relationship with my partner, who I've been with since I was 22. So. You can imagine like little fledglings out of the womb trying to make it work. (laughs) And, you know, I used to get so upset with him over like such dumb shit looking back on it and think I like I would be so vindicated. Like I was like, I know I am right. Like you are wrong and bad. And it always comes back to that. It was like the judgment of like this person's doing something wrong when they're really just like being themselves. I think that is when I'm like, oof, that's. Mm. That's some gnarly, that's some gnarly stuff, you know, but we forgive ourselves. We move on. Oh yeah. First of all, just long-term relationships, romantic friendship, Mm -hmm. you know, business, they're just hard and monogamy, especially in terms of what's placed on that relationship in our society. But I feel like relationship stuff too early on is always a place where you're like, oh yeah, this is the worst version of me. (laughs) And if you're going to stick around and we can figure this out, then this is a good situation if we can put up with each other. Yeah. I really do feel like it always gets better. At least in my experience, I'm like the beginning is the roughest part and there's like so much bliss, but then at the same time I was like, I mean, it, it brings up all your stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, like all of your relational stuff, which like, again, being like human beings, we are relational people, creatures. Right. So like, it's all of the stuff I feel like relationships are such a mirror for life in general the way we act in them is the way we act in life in general and I think that's why they're so daunting to enter into a lot of the time especially if you have a lot of like relational trauma which I definitely do so that's hard yeah we Ethan and I go to couples therapy and we've been going since we got engaged and Mm -hmm. uh 
we both are like, wow, we learn more about ourselves individually, you know, in couples therapy than we do in our normal therapy sessions because you have like that real person to bounce off of. And you're like, oh, right. I'm not like this pristine, mentally healthy person. Like sometimes I am whack. Like, yes. (laughs) Dude, I feel the same way. I actually feel really weird about therapy now after being in my program because my program is a giant critical take on Western psychology. So I'm like, it's really hard for me to like want to go to a therapist individually. Yeah. But Cameron and I also go to couples therapy and we found this amazing woman who's like, she's a sex therapist and she's like, like, she's just into cool shit. And she's like always like bringing like race and gender into the convo. And it's like really great. And I feel the same way. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. It's like the best part of my week. I really do love it. And I think it is because it's like, it feels like this coven that has come together to like support me (laughs) and then also to support my children. And it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a dialogue instead of just navel gazing and judging up your stuff, like which feels Mm -hmm. a little self-indulgent, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Can you share one hot take on Western therapy? Oh, I'm dying to hear this. Or more than one, if you would like. (laughs) This is something that has been percolating, I feel like, in my conversations, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, I definitely have a lot of hot takes. Actually, I was going to tell you both the story of why I'm not diagnosed as ADD, and I think it will tie into this question. So I tried to get a formal diagnosis. Basically, I'd been seeing a therapist, an individual therapist on BetterHelp for like two years. Mm -hmm. And... Her and I had come to the conclusion, like, yes, you probably have ADD, right? Like, she was pretty convinced, but she's not technically allowed to diagnose mm-hmm. through BetterHelp. So I, like, go to a therapist through my insurance, a, a psychiatrist, this guy who I've never met before, who looked like Elon Musk, which is irrelevant, but he was It's horrible. relevant. But it's relevant. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I got into the session. I was like, I can tell this is not going to go well. And yeah, I, I, tried to, I started talking to him about, like, you know, why I thought I had ADD. And he asked me like three questions, one of which was like, does you, do you have a family history of mental illness? And when he said it, like I knew he meant, does anyone in my family have ADD? But like me being my little indignant decolonial psychology self, <laughs> I was like, well, ADD is not a mental illness. So no, no one in my family has that, right? So he didn't hear about how like, I thought he would maybe ask me later, like, does your family, anyone in your family have ADD? Which several several people do right Mm -hmm. but that we didn't get there then he told me that I couldn't have ADD because I did well in school as a kid (laughs) which I was like are you serious so that was like that was like his reason for not giving me a diagnosis which I wanted to get only really because I wanted to get deadlines extended for school Mm -hmm. otherwise I don't really care Like, I'm just, this is my brain and I'm doing me, so it's fine. But I was just like, wow, like, if that isn't such a symbol of how whack this whole system is, like, the assumption that because I have achieved relative success, then that means that, like, I couldn't possibly have ADD. And that is just, like, such a mind-blowingly narrow view of what this is. So I think, you know... That illuminates a lot of my problems with Western psychology. It's incredibly like prescriptive as if there's like, as if context doesn't matter at all. And I think it also just has such a terrible POV on like what mental disorders or I mean, I'm using that in air quotes, obviously, but like mental illness, mental disorders, what they really are and like 
it dismisses people who have them. And I just think that that is so wild as a field that is supposed to be dedicated to supporting those people. I had a very similar experience with two different psychologists one years ago, just basically saying like, you seem to have, you seem to be okay. (laughs) You've done very well, Mickley. So I don't think you could have done that if you had these issues, that kind of thing. (laughs) And then you kind of walk away. You're like, okay, well, I'm the crazy one. Right. Right. Um, And then goes a whole cycle of self-doubt and self-criticism. And yeah, I feel like it's literally being gaslit by the like healthcare system. (laughs) And then, you know, it's weird because I think sometimes they they'll tell you that like it's like great news you know like (laughs) yeah good news you don't have this thing and I'm like no but like I want to just feel confirmed in like how I feel inside (laughs) that would be better news to me you know yeah so fascinating yeah it's um, very backwards like confirming your reality you know or like Mm -hmm. validating your reality you know, which is mm-hmm. yeah. so valuable. I just had a therapist fire me because my my therapist I've been seeing for a while, she she retired. So I'm like on the search for this new person. And I saw this guy twice. And at the end of our last session, I was like, I'm just looking for a little more like, you know, a little more for me from you, you know, in terms of like yeah. insight. And he was like, I don't know, Michelle, I just think you're good. Like, I don't think you, it's fine. And it was like, you know, I'm like <laughs> it's eight fun. months pregnant. My husband has brain cancer, <laughs> depression and anxiety. You know, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm coping okay. And like, I would like, I don't know, like I would I would just like to like have someone who has my back here. And he's like, I think you're fine. I think you're really overthinking this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, okay. That's kind of a relief, maybe sometimes. I don't know. I do think we all get in our heads too much sometimes, right. but at the same time, like exactly what you're saying. It's like I just want to talk to someone who like is being paid to help me. <laughs> yeah, totally. I feel like that's him being like, okay, sh- you're smarter than me, and I won't be able to handle the situation. So, <laughs> or or he's like, you're a little neurotic, and you're a little too much for me. So I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna say you're fine. Either way, not meeting you where you're at, and that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but yeah, <sighs> quite an experience, and I can't wait for you to be so what are you going to do do you know what you'll kind of this is a horrible question to ask but like what 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 are you going to do with that degree as someone who has a degree in dance like I hear that all the time but like what comes next after you graduate do you know how that sort of like manifests in the world for you or is that kind of up in the air still I mean it's super up in the air only because I don't know what I'm going to do next week you know like air very fair point like (laughs) Yeah, I'm very much a go with the flow kind of person. So I don't know, I have some ideas. I think for me, the big thing that I would like to achieve is like, I want to turn whatever my dissertation is into a book. That's a big goal of mine. So we'll see what that ends up being about. I have some vague ideas that it will be about exactly what we've talked about. Like what are the skills needed to build community with people? Something related to that. And then, you know, I'll just like, but I think, you know, I can, I'll continue doing the work that I do in different ways. And this only adds to kind of the foundation of, it adds to my goo, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to put it simply, all of the things I learned. So I just really am excited to be taking in the information and experiencing the process of it. And using that hopefully to do something. Well, Well, you're an incredible writer. So I'll read any book that you write. I'll read, I'll read your dissertation. 
Do you want to publish that on Google Scholar? <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> I I also personally would love a, and I know there are different versions of this, but knowing, like Michelle said, you're writing and your outer work newspaper that you dropped off for our quantum con was just so good such a treat and to see your creativity come through in that I was like oh this person is extremely creative and intelligent in so many different ways and it was cool to witness that in one thing thank you so I would love any kind of how to do community in almost unsuspecting ways I'm thinking about this as I move to New York from LA and I'm thinking about the communities that I'm going to be really sad to leave Mm -hmm. that have been really organic and all these things where They've just happened organically. And I've been thinking about how to be very intentional about that when I move here. And That's such a great question. Wow. I think about this so much, just like the various ways that we can create and build community. And like you said, in unsuspecting ways, because so much of it does happen organically and randomly and you can't control it. And I think those are the best ones in a lot of ways. But I, what I focus on mostly is like sustaining deep relationships, like building and sustaining deep relationships and meaningful relationships with the people that are in your life already. And I think about like, you know, so again, it's like the family setting or the workplace setting or in your friend groups or whatever they might be. And I think so much of it is about gathering. I think this is why like, I'm also really drawn to like party planning and like event production as a career it's about being in space with people and and then I think within that container you can do so much that like creates this like joyful meaningful connection whether it's like doing activities or painting together or I don't know I remember being in high school and going to my friends houses and like doing like makeup on each other and then doing like photo shoots in the backyard you know and it's just little things like that that cement you forever with people so I don't know it's hard to answer because I think every community is different and every group of people is is that comes together is different and comes together for a different reason but I think what it's really about is like tapping into like what would be so fun and so easy and so like meaningful for us to do right now in this space Mm. Mm. dinner party (laughs) games yes exactly I mean, I will say Shabbat family dinner, hosting those things. Those are, those are big. Those are like, I think that's how I met most of my friends, my current friends. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. That's beautiful. I just went to a wedding this weekend of my high school best friend and it felt like that. It was just this like Mm. incredible gathering of people I haven't seen in so long. And you know, that feeling. And my friend even said the bride, she said like, there's a thing that happens when a group of people comes together called collective effervescence. Mm. And that was what oh. she was like striving for. And I was just like so struck by that. And that feeling is exactly what I think I'm talking about and what we're all talking oh, about. Yeah. That's a beautiful I turn love of phrase. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just got covered in chills. I'm like yeah. writing that down. Renea, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is so great. I want to finish up with one question. Yeah. What would you whisper? What would you whisper to your past self if you could just like get in her little ear? Mm, just let go. <laughs> yeah, nice. That's it. <laughs> do you think she'd take that, Simple. or do you think she'd be like? <laughs> <laughs> I think she'd take it. I think she would. I think she just needed permission. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. We it, It's making me think of, we were talking as a team yesterday about just 
some content and planning and I had read this quote from a book that says when you want to let go of something build something new but it's ma- making me think actually kind of what you were saying at the beginning of I'm, I'm letting go of these communities and I'm actually being in community in another way so it's not yeah. that you have to build or make something new but it's diverting your energy and attention to something else totally that's so spot on yeah and I'm also always building new things too. <laughs> yeah. You're like, can't help it. Yeah. Can't help it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Never stop. We love that about you. Thanks. So sweet. Thank you so much for making time to come and hang out with us. We could talk to you at least for two more hours. <laughs> yeah. Same. How can people follow your work and, and keep up to date with what you're learning? Yeah. I've been totally MIA from the internet for months now, which is awesome. Yeah, that but- must feel so good. <laughs> It feels so good. But still, I think the old Instagram follow is probably the easiest to do. So it's just at Linnea Sims. Yeah. yeah. A good follow. Thank you, Linnea. Thank you, everyone.